like to call the regular city council meeting of the city of Collinsville, January 25th, 2022 to order with roll call, please. Green, here. Stamen. Here. Jerome. Here. Houseman. Here. Miller. Here. The invocation this evening will be given by Pastor Jerry Casey of Providence Church. Would you please rise for the invocation and stay standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's pray. Father God, I come tonight to thank you for allowing us to live in a great and safe community like Collinsville. Many people in our country no longer have that privilege and we do not take it for granted. I also know that it doesn't happen by accident, so thank you for this council and our mayor as they continue to work in making the best decisions for our city now and for the future. Bless them in this meeting as they discuss the business at hand. We also thank you for all of our first responders and ask for safety and protection on all of their families individually and their lives personally. Please help the countless others who work behind the scenes in offices and so many other departments who get up each and every day and work to do a good job so that we may live, shop, and enjoy a safe and great city. We ask that you bless our wonderful city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I pledge item tonight is the proclamation school choice week january 23rd through the 29th before i get into proclamations uh, uh, we have a little change here that uh, i would like to ask mayor pergano from pontoon beach is here to address the council and i'm going to let him go since he has a council meeting this evening as well uh, mayor you're more than welcome to address. thank you so much uh, good evening mayor aldermen and all women Thank you for this opportunity to speak for a few minutes tonight. I'll be brief. I know you guys are busy. Uh, my name is Mike Pagano, and I'm the mayor for the village of Pontoon Beach. Uh, it was early morning, October 26th, when I received the call from Chief Madrusik that one of our officers had been shot at the Speedway service station on Highway 111 in Pontoon Beach. Two Pontoon units were responding to an LPR hit. LPRs are cameras that read license plates, license plate readers. The hit came up on the computers as a stolen car, as a stolen car. Officer Tyler Timmons was the first on the scene. As Officer Timmons arrived, he pulled his car in front of the suspected stolen car that was sitting at one of the fuel pumps. And as he exited his patrol car, he was immediately shot in the neck. It was an evil and a heinous crime. Officer Timmons never had a chance to defend himself. Pontoon Beach Officer Sergeant Chris Warren and Grand City Officer Bo Ficker worked tirelessly trying to save Tyler's life as they departed in the patrol car with Tyler in the back seat heading to the closest hospital. Tyler would be airlifted to St. Louis but would die of his wounds. That day changed our city forever. Immediately Granite City Police Department and the Madison County Sheriff's Department started running all of our calls. Our officers were too distraught and we were in shock. This would go on for over a week. We basically shut down our police department. During that long week, we were planning the funeral of Officer Timmons and had no idea where we could find a facility large enough for his funeral and his wake. And when I say we, I mean there were a lot of people involved. My good friend Nick Rockwell would give me a call that evening and told me that the city of Collinsville said that the Timmons family could use the Gateway Center to have the wake and the funeral. 
and it was huge. And I relayed this message to Officer Stacy from Grand City, who was in charge at the time. They were frantically searching for a facility that could handle the amount of people and first responders that would attend. Officer Timmons is the first officer to be killed in gunfire in Madison County since 1922. The procession from the St. Louis morgue to Tyler's funeral home in Wood River was very large. We suspected the funeral to be larger, and it was. Mayor, council members, and Chief of Police Evans, I'm here tonight to personally thank you for the support from your city, your residents, and for the use of your amazing facility at, here at Gateway Center. Without it, we couldn't have done this. Thank you to all your employees involved and the Collinsville Police Department and anyone else that may have been involved in this huge act of kindness. Thank you for all the support for the Timmons family, the village of Pontoon Beach. Even though we are from different communities with different mayors and different police departments and fire departments, we are all still one in times of need. From the village of Pontoon Beach Board and from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything you have done for us. Uh, and real quick, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacekeepers for they will be called sons of God. And I want to uh, mirror what the pastor just said. We pray each night for your police department, our police department, all the police departments and first responders that they go home safe to, the community, to their families at night. Thank you all again very much. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. I got to run to the meeting. Proclamation of School Choice Week, January 23rd through the 29th. City of Collinsville Proclamation School Choice Week, January 23rd through the 29th, 2022. Whereas all children in Collinsville should have access to the highest quality education possible. And whereas Collinsville recognizes the important role that a, an effective education plays in preparing all students in Collinsville to be successful adults. And whereas quality education is critically important to the economic vitality of Collinsville, and whereas Collinsville is home to a multitude of high quality public and non-public schools from which parents can choose for their children, in addition to families who educate their children at home. And whereas education, educational variety not only helps to diversify our economy, but also enhances the vibrancy of our community. And whereas Collinsville has many high quality teaching professionals in all types of school settings who are committed to educating our children. And whereas School Choice Week is celebrated across the country by millions of students, parents, educators, schools and organizations to raise awareness of the need for effective educational options. Therefore, the city, of, city Council of the City of Collinsville does hereby proclaim and recognize January 23rd, 29th, 2022 as Collinsville School Choice Week. Next, business prior to public input is item one, ordinance amending title 17 of the Collinsville Municipal Code as it relates to separation requirements for cannabis dispensaries. Entertain a motion for the approval of uh, ordinance amending Title 17 as it relates to separation requirements for cannabis dispensaries. So moved. Moved by Councilman Green. Second. Second by Councilman Stamen. The overview by Director 
Community Development Director, Travis Taylor. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council. The item before you is a request by MRE Portfolio 1 to amend the City of Collinsville Zoning Ordinance to provide for an exception to social equity applicants for cannabis dispensaries from our, our 1,500-foot separation requirement. As you may recall, the state of Illinois, with a recent legalization of cannabis, in 2019, the city of Collinsville enacted Ordinance 19-86, establishing adult-use cannabis regulations throughout the city. With this ordinance, we put in place several barriers to cannabis dispensaries located near one each other, near each other. Uh, the first of which is mimicking the state's 1,500-foot separation requirement. The second being cannabis dispensary zones, in which we separate our city into four cannabis dispensary zones and allow only one dispensary per zone. And then the third, obviously, with our underlying zoning ordinance, wherein cannabis dispensaries are only allowed via special use permit in certain zoning districts. The applicant, representing one of the state's social equity awardees for a cannabis dispensary, is requesting a deviation or an exception, rather, in our, in our code to allow for a social equity applicant to be located within that 1,500-foot separation requirement. Uh, the cannabis dispensary zones and the zoning district regulations would still remain in place as a, uh, an, an avenue to separate these dispensaries. A, for clarification, this is kind of a, a, a larger topic. Social equity applicants and the social equity applicant lottery was a movement or um, an amendment that the the state made last year to their regulations. They had the 1,500 foot and then they approved an exemption for social equity applicants. And this was to allow for applicants who were residing in a disproportionately impacted area or applicants who had a convicted uh, charge, uh, cannabis related charge would then be offered uh, licenses for cannabis dispensaries. And with that approval and that process, they also put in this exemption from the 1,500 foot uh, distance requirement. For some back to continue on to the background, these are our four cannabis dispensary zones that the city has put in place. Um, one cannabis dispensary is allowed per zone. Uh, as we all know, we currently have one cannabis dispensary in Collinsville in Ascend, located just right down the road here um, on off of East Fort Plaza Drive. For an, an, a further example of what this 1500 foot separation really means in real time, in real life, this is the ascend location and their boundary. And the distance is measured from the parcel boundary to the next parcel boundary. So any, any parcel within this blue 1500 foot radius um, would not be allowed, under our current regulations, a cannabis dispensary. Um, even we've still got two separate zones, as you can see by the colors. So this is one dispensary zone, and this is another dispensary zone. Um, the dispensary zone in question here does not have a current cannabis dispensary, meaning it could maintain one cannabis dispensary as a new applicant came in. However, they have to abide by our other regulations, including the 1,500-foot separation requirement. The applicant seeking an exemption from this in the ultimate uh, goal of locating a cannabis dispensary at the Golden Corral location in the Collinsville Crossing area. 
further on your agenda tonight is a request to amend the plan district ordinance for the Collinsville crossing area and they also requested a special use permit um, all three were recommended for denial uh, by the Planning Commission so the Planning Commission when evaluating this text amendment request um, looked on looked to our zoning code to see why we would or would not approve a text amendment and in such we look at what the ch if the change is consistent with the intent of our regulations what districts and areas are most likely affected by this change and whether the change is ultimately necessary because of changing conditions the, the Planning Commission heard a public hearing it held a public hearing on this matter had one member of the public um, testify against in opposition of the request um, and then also heard uh, testimony from the applicant themselves the majority of the PC determined that the intent full intent of the cannabis ordinance as it was originally written required this 1500 foot separation requirement as we have dispensary zones that abut each other and that 1500 foot separation makes sure that we maintain that distance even at those at those boundaries so we don't have two dispensaries even though might be one parcel especially on Vandalia we've got this situation in a commercial area where one parcel is right next to each other that boundary is there but the 1500 foot's not being met if the exemption were approved a social equity applicant and another could be located next to one one another ultimately the Planning Commission voted down this text amendment and recommended uh, the City Council deny the requested uh, amendment to the zoning code uh, that is really the request in a nutshell I'm happy to and there's a lot of de you know detail uh, in our zoning code on how cannabis uh, dispensaries are regulated and happy to answer any questions you might have questions of mr. Taylor yes Travis uh, I did attend the uh, a, uh, seminar at the Nelna Municipal League on this but I don't remember this particular question uh, by passing the state changing the law does that make it illegal or where the city cannot we still have to go by what the state passed we can't be more strict than the state is that correct or no my my understanding is that as a home rule community we can have stricter regulations in the state and oh, okay. and so even though the state passed a 1500 foot uh, uh, exemption for social equity applicants we can still maintain a 1500 foot separation requirements continuing on that line of thinking the city currently has in place 1500 foot separation requirements for all cannabis related businesses and the state does not okay. so uh, infusers can be located next to growers not in Collinsville okay Anyone else? Yeah, we know we can be more restrictive. We can't be less restrictive for right. things like this. But I think the reason why the state had the 1,500-foot separation was so that you didn't have what you just described, which is a row of cannabis distributors that could be in one, one area, and you, you that's the opposite of what you would want in, in any area for purposes of, well, for traffic, plus also what business would want three of the same thing in the same area. So I think the 1500 foot separation is there for a very good reason in much the same way that we have set them up in four different quadrants so that they are, if there are to be any others, they're completely separated from one another by location as well as by distance. 
So I see no reason to create an exemption because I think it creates uh, a problem because it runs counter to what the state was actually setting up when they, they did this 1,500-foot separation. So uh, to me, to, to modify what the state did originally doesn't make any sense, and, and I would certainly not support it. I like that the Planning Commission saw through that and, and denied this. I think it's, it's very good on their part. Uh, one other comment, just I think this has been in play. How long is it since 17 or uh, wh when did Ascend open? Uh, ascend. I'm ascend sorry. opened January one of twenty. Twenty. Um, okay. They were we adopted your um, adult use recreational cannabis ordinance in, in nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. Like Travis said, I think that was this is the first application we've had after you know other than ascend, and so everybody knows you know ascend was medical five years before, so right. that was a you know that was a very strategic location they selected here. Um, I think after this application, I mean, depending on how the council goes, but I think I can read the tea leaves in your discussion is that, you know, staff will probably look into those four zones and come back with a recommendation now that we've had this implemented for a few years and had a had an application and look at refining and probably reducing four, I would tell you, to probably two um, and dividing it up based on how the city kind of naturally divides its market where you see another occurrence of another business. So. Well, you read my tea leaves good because it's Did exactly I? what I was going to say. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think it's a good time after two or three years to look at it again and, and see what, because this recent application has generated some comments. and So perfect time to open it back up and just look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It should, should be a, a relatively simple amendment that staff can bring forward in the next okay. months. Good. Next couple good. months. I, I couldn't agree with with all of the comments more. And, you know, I would like to see the 1,500-foot separation even increased if, if we could. Uh, but I like the idea that the, the city manager just mentioned as far as having four and one in four quadrants, I would like to see that even go down. Um, you know, uh, if we had two dispensaries in the city for the for the size of our community that would be more than enough if not too much so uh, but i i concur with, uh, with councilman jerome and, and the uh, planning commission and uh, when we vote you'll you'll understand that we agree with you so that being said if no further comments we'll have roll call but can we have a clarification on what the roll call would be? Because Thank right you. now you're saying we want an exemption. So the current motion is for the exemption. So we're wanting to to know and so that there is no exemption created. A no correct? would deny them the 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 uh, exemption. Correct. Exemption. So the you. yes would be to allow the exemption. No would be to not allow the. Thank you for the clarification, Mr. Mayor. Roll call, please. Green, no. Stamen? No. Jerome? No. Houseman? No. Miller? No. Item two is an ordinance repealing and replacing Plan District Ordinance 3602, PCP1, Plan Commercial Park District, Collinsville Crossing. Entertain a motion for approval of the 
ordinance repealing and replacing the plan district ordinance 3602 PCP1 uh, for Collinsville crossings. So moved. Moved by Councilman Hausman. I'll second. Second by Councilman Jerome. The Director Travis Taylor will uh, lay it out for us. Thank you, Mayor and members of Council. Again, this is part two of MRE Portfolio's overall uh, application package. This second part applies specifically to Collinsville Crossing. They were seeking to repeal and replace Collinsville Crossing's plan district ordinance with language that would revert or that would defer to the underlying CP1 code uh, for land uses that are outlined there. The city currently allows cannabis dispensaries in the underlying CP1 zoning districts via special use permit. So the language that was proposed and presented to the Planning Commission was language that stated that this plan district ordinance would allow all land uses as allowed per the land use table in our zoning code, plus these additional land uses. When originally passed uh, for the Collinsville Crossing area, we did not have our current land use matrix in play. Um, so the land uses that we see in the plan district ordinance predating that, uh, that land use matrix often are very specific. And so there are very specific land uses that are allowed in Collinsville Crossing, and it does not reference our zone underlying zoning code. So the applicant was requesting to amend to allow for the reference so they could tap into uh, the land use table and state that they would like to request a special use permit uh, for a cannabis dispensary. The Collinsville Crossing for reference, um, Ordinance 3602 was approved in 2005 as part of the overall redevelopment of the Collinsville Crossing area. And in that ordinance, we have very specific land uses, um, including retail and, and some automotive and home goods and, and things of that nature. Uh, obviously, cannabis uh, sales and retail was not even close to our minds at that time, and so it's not in the, uh, the uses allowed in that plan district. You can see the PCP1 zoning district and the uh, ordinance covers this area here. We've got some PCP1s to the south and east and then also a smattering of, uh, of uh, commercial across the interstate and along North Club. The Planning Commission in their review has to consider several criteria as to whether rezoning or a, an amendment to a plan district, if you will, fits the criteria of the zoning code. Uh, those criteria are laid out here before you, whether it fits the character of the neighborhood, would potentially, uh, I'm sorry, promotes the health, safety, general welfare, and quality of life. Consistent, is it consistent with our comprehensive plan? Are there adequate public utilities and services? Uh, the su suitability of what the uses of which the property is currently allowed, whether it the rezoning is necessary, and whether there's a disproportionate loss to nearby property owners relative to the public gain. Uh, Planning Commission reviewed these and determined that the majority of these criteria are not met. Uh, the addition of a cannabis dispensary in Collinsville Crossing, as we see with the SEND, as a high traffic demand and potentially could burden nearby land uses and nearby property owners, and therefore did not, and also did not believe that the cannabis retail land use was part of the overall vision for the Collinsville Crossing area. Uh, they held a public hearing on January 13th, 
again heard from the applicant and one member of the, uh, of the public in opposition and ultimately voted down a motion to approve uh, by a vote of one yes to six no. So the Planning Commission almost unanimously voted down uh, the request and has presented to the City Council a recommendation, recommendation of denial. Questions of Director Taylor? No questions, just a comment. Once again, I, I think the Planning Commission's got it right. Um, I think when you're looking at the character of that area, the cannabis dispensary is not what we're talking about. When Collinsville Crossing was first uh, platted and first laid out, that was when I was on the Planning Commission, that it was not thought of then, but when you're looking at the use and the, the way in which it's run, and the traffic that, that it's going to create, um, that is not what we're looking for down there for, the, for that particular area for Collinsville Crossing. There's other areas in the city that I'm sure could be better identified, but where they're talking about, I, I would say no, that does not meet the character of it. Um, and in fact, it could be a dangerous area because of the, the traffic that could be ensued from it. So I think the Planning Commission did a great job with their determination. Anyone else? None, roll call please. Green. No. Stamen. No. Jerome. No. Houseman. No. Miller. No. Item three is an ordinance amending title 17 of the Collins Municipal Code as it relates to wire monitored alarm systems. Entertain a motion to approve the ordinance amending Title 17 zoning uh, of the Collinsville Municipal Code as it relates to wire monitored alarm systems. Uh, motion. So moved. So moved by Councilman Green, second by Councilman Jerome. The overview by Director Taylor. Thank you, Mayor and members of the Council. The next item before you is a request by Amarok LLC to allow for a text amendment to our zoning code to allow for wire monitored alarm systems. Um, ask you to deep, uh, dig deep back into the history of what, what the council has reviewed in the past. And you may recall that Amarok had previously presented a text amendment to the planning commission and ultimately the council for an electrified fence uh, modification, allowing electrified fences in the city of Collinsville. Uh, that was preceded by a variance, a couple variances, and, and since then the uh, Amarok has worked with their applicants and requested a variance uh, for or a couple variances, one of which approved for the United Rentals site, which allowed for a wire monitored alarm system. It's a non-electrified system um, that uh, is hardly visible to the, to the naked eye uh, from the public right-of-way. And the uh, zoning hearing officer determined that the, some of the concerns originally expressed by council were being addressed um, in such a manner that uh, it was a, a compromise for the, for the applicant. Uh, that was approved and then the applicant moved forward with a text amendment uh, to allow for the city to allow for wire monitored alarm systems. Uh, the reason that we currently do not allow these types of fence, this type of fencing is the city currently has regulations and spe specific guidelines on how our fences um, must be built. And that includes preferred or rather certain design materials. Um, wire is prohibited as does not include that list. 
and you, your typical fencing materials, wire, vinyl, I'm sorry, uh, wood, vinyl, and uh, wrought iron are allowed, but then wire is specifically left out and, and prohibited. Uh, so with, with that in mind, the applicant has proposed language that would allow for an exception to those guidelines and allow for wire monitored alarm systems. Uh, these systems are placed behind an existing fence and you can see in the uh, language staff worked out with the applicant that there's the fence that it's constructed behind has to be in place and has to be a compliant fence with the city's regulations. The fence, the wire monitored alarm system can be ere erected to a height of eight feet and cannot have a, a wire, a gauge that's visible, easily visible from the public right of way. I have some pictures I'm gonna show you here next, but I, there's also one major point that the Planning Commission amended this language on. And then the Planning Commission stated that we're only gonna allow these wire fences by right, or we believe they only should be allowed by right in our M1 industrial districts. This is very similar to how other communities in this area allow electrified fencing if you will, in only industrialized areas. These are typically your high use, high intensity areas. And the Planning Commission thought that that could be a district that allows this use by right, but every other zoning district requires Planning Commission approval. So this is a good, this is our only example that we can provide, and is both a good and a bad example. Um, it's good because I can't see the fence. <laughs> so that's, I think, a testimony to how hard it is to actually notice that there's a wire fence behind the existing. It is also bad in that this chain link fence that was, a, it was approved by the uh, zoning hearing officer that this fence could be erected behind the existing chain link fence. The zoning hearing officer did require that the barbed wire be removed, which was a non-compliant feature of that fence, as well as it being a chain link fence. Um, our, our code under these regulations would require that whole fence to be replaced. So um, it has to be a compliant fence with our regulations that the wire, the wire alarm systems put behind. So um, the, I'm trying to see if you can see. So this post here is actually a post that's holding the wire. And the wire is strung between these posts along this fence line. The wire is attached to a battery and how these systems are typically um, set up is the wires attached to a low voltage battery and there is a current running through but the current does not exhibit any shock to the uh, to any human or animal that comes into contact with it however if that current's disturbed for a period of uh, for a certain amount then an alarm is sound and the owner is notified that there's been a breach of the of the fence so the Planning Commission reviewed this, um, worked with the applicant on the language, limiting it to the, to the M1 districts, making sure that the gauge is not of a, a thickness that you can see from the right of way, so uh, are the aesthetics of our commercial neighborhoods are intact or, or, or still kept in mind, and then making sure that everything else comes to Planning Commission. Uh, they believe that it meets the intent of our regulations. They, they specifically thought it struck a compromise between providing for for a system of security for um, property owners, especially those in the industrial districts that may have outdoor storage needs. Um, and then with the city's underlying regulations where our intent is to maintain the character of our commercial corridors. We heard uh, from the applicant, no one spoke in favor or in opposition, and the Planning Commission voted unanimously for the text amendment. 
Uh, this public hearing was heard in December, um, and then we have put this application on hold so the applicant could be present this evening. Uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, you might have. So, so Travis, just for clarification, did you say that they have to replace the chain link fence with approved fencing? So United Rentals will not have to replace okay. chain link fence because they're they're currently approved by that okay. variance. Okay. However, if there was a situation where they came in now gotcha. and we would require that chain link to be replaced. Gotcha. United Rentals would not be a location that would be allowed by right. It is not in an M1 industrial district. M1 industrial, you will find near the railroad tracks uh, along Lebanon Road um, and some of those more intense uses are, are in that area. Okay. Well, I do, I do applaud them for coming up with a better alternative than the wire that they, the fence that they proposed the first time. So this definitely is a better option, I think. Yeah, I think the Planning Commission was in agreement um, that this was at least a step in the right direction, mm -hmm. that, hey, we're hard no on electrified fences, but there might be a method here where you obtain security and you're not causing a hazard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I concur. I think it's a good compromise. And I, and I, and I, and I you know, understand why we have such codes in place when it comes to our fencing for aesthetic reasons and the value it may bring to the neighborhood and other commercial properties but you also have to look at is it effective and in this sense uh, i think it's important that i think it's a good compromise and it should make it more effective for them uh, so I, I think it's a good idea i guess i'm a little confused though when you showed the picture is it a single wire that goes along top, uh, along the, the top of the fence? There are multiple wires that are spaced. I'm not going to throw out numbers because it could vary, but there are multiple wires along the uh, the, the length or the height of that fence. But it's a, a fence behind a fence. That's correct. And what's the gap between the two? The gap between the two is usually between six to twelve inches. Okay, so not something that someone's going to be in between there and trip hazard because your, your wires I'm assuming are going to be small enough that you're not going to be able to that there may be times you can't really see them so I'm also looking at the, right. the danger associated with that but it's basically primarily just right behind the fence itself that, that's correct and that and you know working again with the applicant they are a, um, a dealer and and they sell these fences so obviously there's their their knowledge of their own system but the, the fence is only effective if it is located within that small, di that small distance requirement um, between the chain link and the wire. They try to not create an entrapment zone where someone climbs over one fence and gets caught between the two. Less of a hazard when it's not an electrified fence, someone can still squeeze through wires and get in, but that's an effort that they make. And then the fact that it's a little bit higher, the eight feet versus our code currently only allows a maximum of six feet, um, make sure that someone can't just climb to one to the top of one fence and jump over the, the security system. And how do they handle gate areas or door areas? So the gate the gated areas are that fence is actually attached to the gates, so it swings with the gates. So it's not a, it actually goes in at that stage for the gates. Okay. Now at the bottom level where you have the fencing itself, is it going all the way to the ground for that six foot area? 
and what I'm thinking about is, are there animals, that, or the six inch area, are there animals that can get trapped behind there or anything like that, or is it high enough up that it's not a, an issue? The spacing, at least from the examples that I've seen, the spacing should be such that that should not be an issue. The, 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 I believe they were four to six inches um, spacing requirements from their product um, for the, between those wires. So I don't, I, from what I could see, it didn't seem to be a, an issue. In this system, how is the alarm transmitted and to whom is it transmitted? Is it just an audible alarm in, in the vicinity? Or is it transmitted to a security company? Or is it transmitted to the Collinsville Police Department? So it, I've been speaking in specifics just because of this one, of this one user, um, this one ad, because of the applicant's product. The applicant's product would be would notify the property owner in almost all cases. I do not believe that system was set up to be an audible alarm. I imagine it could be, um, and then yeah, the applicant is here um, and and could uh, potentially answer any questions if if that is is appropriate. Well. Certainly much better than the electrified fence that they brought to us the last time. Uh, that was not going to fly at all. Uh, not with, in a community, I could see it possibly out in a rural area, but not in a community where people are. I think, I think we need to watch the construction and, and be extremely cautious on how this is put in. Now, does a wire have to break to send an alarm, or does it just have to be touched? To send I think it only alarm? has to be touched. Uh, well, uh, I'd have to consult a legal counsel. Unfortunately, it's usually not a, a, a location, uh, an area of, the, of uh, the agenda where we can have public opinion or take any more input from the public. So I would have to defer if the applicant can offer any of her expertise. We, well, we don't normally do that, so, did, yeah. did, so well, I don't know why we're going to start today. I was going to say the, the reason for that is the record was created before the Planning Commission, and you cannot enter new evidence into record into your consideration. No, I agree. If you have concerns, then the direction would be to remand this back to the Planning Commission to address those concerns or, or deny it. Travis, do you know in the Planning Commission, does it, did they discuss any of this, the, the concerns that some of the council had, or is it in there? They had, a, they had a lengthy discussion about the details of the fence itself. The problem that they kept running into was when we, the answers we get are for one product. Um, the regulations we're setting are for anybody. So while I can answer questions about whether the alarm system notifies the owner, it, it's not guaranteed that that's what's going in. Because this is, this is again, just one product from, from the applicant, and there are other, um, there are the, other products. If the concern there. happens to be the audible alarm, then I would uh, ask that you consider amending the ordinance to prohibit audible alarms associated with the fence. Yes, yeah, if there are any concerns, that's, that's easy enough for us to amend here at, on, the, on, the, 
or to establish limits that that has to operate in a manner consistent with our noise ordinance, which is already default anyway. Yep. I, I think, to me, some of the uh, confusion, I guess, is is talking about this particular situation, then making a text amendment that's going to affect everything, and it's kind of confusing since we haven't mm -hmm. dealt with that before. And um, I don't know that doesn't it, on its face it seems like it makes sense you know but not knowing as much about it and the Planning Commission was I'm sure in the same position we were um, I, I, I guess I'm almost thinking something where a case, it's looked at as a case-by-case case basis way, I wonder if there's a way to look at setting this up similar to a uh, special use permit well then there'd be a special what, process to go through what, those I, if I may case. offer yeah, yeah an, e an easy way to make that to make that happen is to amend the text as it's currently presented. Item A under the, amend, under the current language allows it by right in the M1 district. All other zoning districts have to come to the Planning Commission. We could simply strike that language that allows it in the industrial district and make everyone come to the Planning Commission, then they could fully vet this for each application. That seems to make the most sense. That's exactly what I was thinking. Whenever you were, were saying by right, that gives us some concerns because we have no say over what it is or how it's in, how it's constructed. But if it comes before the planning commission, then they have some, some say to make sure that it's done appropriately. Plus, it also gives more latitude, um, maybe to the owner if they have some newer newer ideas that come up um, that might even be allowed that may not be may not even be considered right now that the planning commission can consider on down the road things that are closer to the fence that are less visible, things that we don't necessarily know that but we're, we're giving them by right at M1 right now. So I, I like the idea of, of bringing everything back to the Planning Commission and letting them approve each one of them, especially since I don't think it's going to be a huge run on everyone running to the, the commission to want their fence. <laughs> so it would be Planning Commission by special use permit? No, it would be. The way it was worded is everything goes to the Planning Commission except it's by right okay. in M1. Okay. So essentially, if we amended the M1 component, everything would come to the review of the Planning Commission that would afford them the ability to have discretionary review in a more contextual application situation. I, you know, I guess I'm looking, I'm looking for more of a technical review, more like staff review, because the Planning Commission's no better at looking at, no, no disrespect to the Planning Commission, but they're, we're asking the citizens to make those determinations. I think we need more of a an educated staff review of it than anything. Um, and I, I think that leans more toward maybe some other kind of whether it's a special mm -hmm. use permit because you know we could have six new planning commission members within the next year and they're reviewing something they know very little about. So I so is there another alternative staff's comfortable taking that on as an administrative review approval. If that's how you want to amend it. I mean I don't have, I don't, I don't, I'm not opposed to it going to planning commission. I just think that there needs to be that more technical review prior to any kind of approvals. So yeah, I think I agree with that. I think I do because now it's, it's not subject that's sub, that, that we're not really looking at the aesthetics of it. We're looking at more of the technicality of yes. it. Is it safe? Is it meeting the criteria? I think I like that better. That's why I question, you know, how how is an alarm transmitted yeah. to whom it's transmitted? Yeah. Is it a broken wire? Is it a touched wire? Is it? 
I think those are the things that we need to know before we can actually make a vote on it. Uh, so I would refer it to uh, the city manager to set up a, a group to look into it. I, th I think or, what I heard was just that it would be administrative review and approval in all districts, correct? Is that what you're looking at or do you want us to, do yeah, you want to continue this and have us do research and come back? We could set up criteria that that staff has to throw these applications up against. Um, yeah, rather than hurry something tonight, I mean, is there any push to have to have it tonight? Uh, there are no pending applications uh, right. that I'm aware of. And I'd say we, we make sure we get it right and, and throw it back to staff and, and city manager to figure out the best way you think to handle it. So, yeah. so, we, so, can, so we can basically table this this evening. Because there may yeah. even be a way to streamline it so that if someone, an applicant does come in, it's just subject to staff review and it doesn't have to go before planning commission yeah. or anyone else. Because as long as it's aesthetically within the guidelines and safe, I don't know what else the planning commission would do with it or what we would do with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it seems like we're, we're adding another layer that we don't necessarily need to add if city staff is willing to take on that, that challenge, which I think they will. Yeah, we're... we're we're willing to do that. Well, I, I think it was obvious that the, the Planning Commission approved it uh, as far as what they knew about it. But I think we brought some new questions in that possibly they, they never even asked. So I think those are the things that we need to uh, have brought forward and, and, and looked at. And, and then we can make a legitimate vote on it that way. But if that direction is going to be administrative re review, I tell you that that's just kind of sort, of sort of an inefficient use of time continuing bringing it back unless you want us to include those. I mean, if we include that in the ordinance and you've, you know, you've, you've taken a little bit of staff's ability to review that out of it, that makes sense. So if you want to put additional controls or consider more of the operational parameters of it, then I would tell you to continue it. But if the goal is just to have staff make an administrative determination that's safe and can't remember what, what else you were looking for because we're really not talking about aesthetics, then that would be a simple amendment now. And but I think it depends on how you want to handle that. I don't think it has anything to do with aesthetics because no. the fence is already there. It's grandfathered. Uh, That's why I think I'm asking more about the intent. Do you want to come back with more information so we can set some guidelines and let staff input and then look at those options? Or do you just want to amend this? For your consideration tonight so that staff has the ability to administratively review and approve these well, i would i would think that we're going to be in no better shape to put those qualifications in staff would be in better position to research that and do that so for us to come back and pick through those doesn't make any sense yeah. to me why and, delay it? The, and I, I from my perspective i'm completely comfortable with that um the some of the i'm mean, just so for to your point mayor some of the discussions that the planning commission had you're having now um, so the, I think we understand the challenges and what we're looking to accomplish. I'm happy to, what we could do is amend this and just state that, you know, a fence may be constructed subject to approval by the community development director. Or approval by the down. city. Doesn't have to be. It'll still have to come back as an, an ordinance amendment. So we're still going to have no, to. No, you do it we right could now. Do it today. You're just going to amend what, you, you have the ability to amend the ordinance before you to reflect that tonight. <laughs> So we're going to amend on the fly. Yeah, so you would have an amended motion in a second. Motion. Whoever yes. can state the, the amendment correctly. <laughs> Steve is frustrated with our conversation. Tony's writing notes, so I'm assuming he's looking to, to do the amendment. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not. 
What do you, what do you say? So you're not. Mm-hmm. Tell, you tell us, we'll, we'll skin the cat how you prefer. So, so what is this? We can go ahead and amend the ordinance tonight mm-hmm. and Amended motion. work out the particulars on the fencing. Well, that's never coming back to you if you work that out tonight, unless you want us to just informationally come back and tell you how we're going to make those decisions. What was just said by Councilman Stamen and Jerome, I believe, was the preference to just amend it to let staff do that review. Give us the the wording and let's move on. Well, I don't know. (laughs) David was disagreeing with the approach. I think Tony has some hesitation, but I think since we have nothing pending, let's take our time. Let's do it right. Let's make sure that we've got the things in the amendment that you want. Get it worded appropriately. That way we don't have any issues on down the road. If there's nothing pending, it'll be a quick vote next next go around that we will get it all in. Does that make sense? Yep. So a motion and a second to table it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tony, want to take a, you uh, took the motion to table. Um, yeah, a motion to table this until the next meeting. Right. Yeah, motion. You, Councilman Stamen. Yeah. I will second. Councilman Jerome. Roll call. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome. Yes. Houseman. Yes. Miller. Yes. Thank you. Item four, ordinance rezoning real estate from B2 limited commercial district to UCD Uptown Collinsville district, 508 West Main Street. Entertain a motion for the ordinance rezoning real estate owned by Mr. Matea from B2 to UCD. Motion. So moved. Moved by Councilman Jerome. Second. Second by Councilman Houseman. The overview by Associate Planner Caitlin Rice. All right, good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. The item before you is a rezoning at 508, 508 West Main from B2 Limited Commercial District to UCD Uptown Collinsville District. Um, this is request is by actual Burt Whistle Chiropractic. They are a chiropractic office seeking to locate in this one-story commercial building. Um, the rezoning is just triggered by this um, change of use, um, and this rezoning to the Uptown Collinsville District will bring this property in the surrounding area into better conformance with our Uptown Master Plan, Future Land Use Map, and Comprehensive Plan. So as for location, this is located in the garden district of our uptown planning area um, and is located uh, and surrounded by um, some commercial uses, including some UCD uh, zoning districts as well. Uh, so the planning commission considered the items before you when, re- uh, when reviewing this rezoning request. Um, They were deciding if this rezoning fits the character of the neighborhood, promotes the general safety, health, and welfare of the area, is consistent with the comprehensive plan and the regulations of our city, if there's adequate public utilities and services for this use at this site, um, the suitability of the use to which the property has been restricted under existing zoning, which was the B2, um, and there's no disproportionate loss to nearby landowners and grants a relative public gain. Um, As there was uh, no um, uh, opponents to the rezoning request, um, there was some hearing from the applicant, uh, just general questions about their business. 
Um, Planning Commission did vote unanimously to approve this rezoning district, so staff um, is requesting the City Council um, also approve this rezoning request for 508 West Main from B2 to UCD. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Questions of Ms. Rice? No questions, just a comment. It's ideal. I mean, it's a transitional business that's perfect for in that mixed-use corridor because mm -hmm. um, its hours will be limited and it's 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 not going to be a high volume use, so it's a absolutely perfect business for it. So I think it's great use of that building too. It's a nice looking building. Anyone else? I'm happy to see someone has shown some interest in that building. It's been vacant for vacant probably for 15 or more years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it is a nice looking building, so I hope everything works out for this office. So anyway, thank you. Roll call, please. Green? Yes. Stamen? Yes. Jerome? Yes. Houseman? Yes. Miller? Yes. Item 5 is an ordinance rezoning real estate from B2 Limited Commercial District to UCD Uptown Collinsville District, 112 West Main. Entertain a motion for uh, certain real estate owned by the Caribbean Family Trust from B2 Limited Commercial to UCD. 112 West Main Street. So moved. Moved by Councilman Stamen. I'll second it. Second by Councilman Green. The overview by Ms. Rice. Thank you again, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. Um, this item before you is a rezoning request from B2 to UCD Uptown Council District at 112 West Main. This again is a standard rezoning to try to bring a property into greater conformance with our uptown planning area and comprehensive plan. Um, this was triggered by a proposed change of use. Um, Oso Personal is actually seeking um, to expand into 112 West Main, um, which is the old um, A1 party rental site. Um, so just the general location um, and the uptown area. This is in our um, CBD um, Central Business District. So um, and you can see on the pictures uh, the location of the current Oso Personal um, and the old A1 party rental to the right. Um, they will be expanding their fabric shop operation into uh, this site. As for zoning and conformance with our surrounding zoning area, um, several of the parcels already on this block have been uh, zoned to UCD, so this rezoning would also bring this block and area into a greater conformance with our uptown planning area and future land use map. Uh, so when reviewing um, these uses and um, rezoning requests, we're looking um, for in the uptown Collinsville district, um, the density in this area is more high commercial um, pedestrian based use. Um, the proposed use um, is in conformance with the goals of the Uptown uh, Consul District in this area. Um, it has that street level retail um, commercial aspect. So the same zoning um, criteria reviewed by the Planning Commission. Um, we're looking if this fits the character of the neighborhood, promotes health, safety, quality of life, and general welfare. Um, it is consistent with the comprehensive plan and the regulations of the city. There are adequate uh, services and public utilities for the proposed use at the site. Um, the suitability of the use is consistent with the current under existing zoning, and there's no disproportionate loss uh, to the nearby landowners and grants of public gain. And again, um, this fabric shop at Oso Personal was recently approved 
um, at the site next door. So it's just an expansion of an existing business that was permitted previously. Um, there was no um, opponents from the public and the Planning Commission voted unanimously to approve this rezoning. Um, at 112 West Main Street from B2 to UCD uh, Uptown Collinsville District. And uh, staff is requesting council to approve this rezoning and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Questions of Ms. Rice? Are they going to take over that building and vacate what they have, or are they going to expand their business into that building? They're expanding their business into that. So they will still be at the property next door and will be just expanding their retail into okay. 112. Thank you. Caitlin, it says that updates are, you know, there's some minor things that they're planning to do to update the building. Do you know if the facade is one of them to bring that? I have not heard any um, plans on exterior renovations. I know they'll have to be doing some in the interior. Um, they have not submitted any building permits just yet for our review. Anyone else? None, roll call please. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome. Yes. Houseman. Yes. Miller. Yes. Thank you. Next in their council discussion is home rule Overview and benefits. Mr. Baird. Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council, uh, I'm here tonight to start our conversation on home rule. Um, you'll have, we'll be a little bit around the block here tonight. We'll talk a little bit about the census and home rule. We'll talk about uh, just an overview and some benefits. We're not going to go in depth on anything. We're going to give just enough to set the stage for some future conversations. I think everybody's heard me over the last five or six years talk about um, concerns we had over census projections. Um, and I think as we have a conversation tonight, we'll talk a little bit about how those have played out and that, how those potentially um, can impact this community, not positively. So um, just to start off a little bit on home rule, the what and the why, home rule grants a government authority to act autonomously and independently. And those are the real two key words. Uh, prior to um, home rule being added to the Illinois Constitution in 1970, that was really a reaction to, you know, the common practice of the Iowa Supreme Court justice um, that applied Dillon's rule who had uh, became essentially the rule of the United States to municipalities that said you, a municipality could only get use the rights that were granted overtly by the state. So it severely limited uh, local municipalities act to act the timeliness they could act and how they um, could deal with local issues. They had to always wait on how the state happened. Uh, that was added as an option to the Illinois Constitution in 1970, and currently there are 218 home rule communities in Illinois, of which Collinsville is one. Um, it, it does provide, again, I think the key words here as we go through this is what home rule does is it does exactly what it says. It provides us the independence from Springfield and the freedom to address our local issues locally. Um, and this is a bipartisan issue. And I will tell you that when we get into this, there will be one item that specifically reinforces that this is a bipartisan issue. Uh, the point here is independence from the state now is more important than it ever was. And I think as we go through this, that's self-evident, but we have to talk quite a bit about that through the conversation. The how, how do you become home rule? Uh, you can achieve home rule in one of two ways. If your population exceeds 25,000, Collinsville became home rule that way in 2005 via special census, or if um, any municipality with, with any population can pass, become home rule by passing a local referendum. And there are many, I think there are six municipalities that are home rule that have less than 500 population. 
to show kind of how that plays out. Um, again, we achieved home rule via special census in 2005 that placed our population officially over 25,000. Um, we did receive our official certification from the Illinois Secretary of State's office that our population as of April 1, 2020 fell from 25,579 in 2010 to 24,366 in 2020. Uh, for everybody's reference, if you look at the growth from 2000 to 2005 to 2010, uh, there's always been about a two to three hundred dollar population person population increase. So going down by 1,213 people or 4.7 percent is problematic and concerning to say the, say the least. And I'll I'll hit a couple things a few times, but that will correspond with a pretty extreme um, vacancy status of residential units in the city. And I think anecdotally, we all know that is completely the opposite of reality. So uh, when we fall below 25,000, that does negatively impact our home rule status. We will maintain home rule, but we're required uh, statutorily, which is my comment on the council, will plan on and will uh, have a referendum on the November 8th, 2022 ballot, the general election regarding the continuation of home rule. Um, the statute, state statutes were amended in 2019 that, re that require us to present this wording as, shall the city of Collinsville cease to be a home rule unit? Um, and when you look at the timing of that um, and we go through the conversation, that's very confusing ballot language and there was intent there that um, pretty overtly by the legislature to make an attack on home rule because it does provide that independence from Springfield and the statutory authority of the state of Illinois. Um, again, that confusing ballot language again is just one reason why maintaining that independence from Springfield is very important. Surviving in Illinois requires autonomy and independence to act free from Springfield to be successful and we are a case study in that. Uh, we survive in spite of the condition of everything north of I-80 um, and their attitudes that everything south of I-80 doesn't matter. When we look at the home rule in Census 2020, as I mentioned earlier, we knew we were going to have some issues with Census 2020. Um, and then to compound those issues, the estimates that we saw um, included COVID impacts, which uh, pushed a repressed count by limiting canvas efforts. And then there was also a parallel negative national dialogue about concerns about citizenship status, which have played out throughout the, the country. It's not just Illinois, that various areas had a lower population count of those areas that traditionally are migratory or would be concerned uh, that, you know, that immigration status would play a role in them staying in the country. Um, and there were also other people, obviously COVID, uh, really mainly impacting this. Um, so when we look at what these final results played out for the census, again, the state only lost 18,000 people, but Collinsville lost either 1536 or 1213. Our, our count, again, has us at 24366. Our estimate has us higher than that, so if we take our estimate, it would represent that we'd actually lost 1,536 residents or 1213 by the census count, um, again. We're supposed to expect that Collinsville lost 9.1% of the state's population loss. And to put that in perspective, okay, well, it's migratory. It's not migratory because if you add all the municipal population loss up, it far exceeds 18,000. The math, quite simply, does not play out. Um, the census count and home rule must both be addressed due to the impacts on our per capita funding amount. So home rule is one issue and census count is another. Simply to maintain home rule or have that referendum pass, 
really still presents a negative impact of 1,213 people um, just under that 25,579 that would be every funding source we have, and I'll get into that just briefly. Uh, again, as we move forward with this, we're going to talk a little bit about the benefits of home rule um, since 2005, and then we're going to talk about how we have responsibly managed home rule since 2005 because uh, people who are anti-home rule like to push that uh, you have higher taxes, you have higher regulations, and the, in fact, it's uh, the opposite. There's really no impact on finances um, except what you'll see for us. It uh, depends on the individuality of that community, and really it provides less government and more local autonomy. So again, a little bit of a basic, what's home rule? The purpose of home rule is to allow for local solutions to local issues and problems. Uh, when you, a municipality has home rule status, we can exercise any power and perform any function unless it is specifically prohibited from doing so by state law. So there's a liberally construed definition of home rule that allows us to practice unless we are overtly limited within statutes. And we have that passed all the time where they explicitly say that a certain provision apply, also applies to home rule or does not apply to home rule. Uh, in contrast, non-home rule municipality must only exercise powers which are ex the express authority has been provided by state law and is required to follow Springfield on all matters. For example, amended state statutes in 2019 require the referendum be placed on the November 8, 22 ballot asking voters, shall the city of Collinsville cease being a home rule unit? We have no choice in worry this ballot again. Neither does home rule, but this is a confusing way to ask the question. Everything out of Springfield is very confusing lately. And again, this is all about us asserting our independence and the reason why there are a lot of white papers out there on what happened in 2019 and how this home rule conversation would be tackled by the legislature. So what is home rule again? Um, us remaining a home rule community allows us to locally maintain the power to create laws for local control and zoning, building safety, taxes, and matters of public health, all of which have been critical to building Collinsville to what it is today. If the city loses home rule status, then we become subjects of Illinois and bend the knee to the Springfield Crown. By remaining a home rule community, the city is able to generate revenues in a way that lessens the burden on our residents and property owners, which is what we've talked about ever since 2018, and we'll get into that a little bit, is to put as much burden as we possibly can on service provision to visitors of this community and not our residents. Home rule allows us to levy an additional 1.25% sales tax it generates about 5.5 million dollars annually this represents 10.6 percent of the city's general fund um, and the home rule sales tax is paid by all whether you live whether you are a property owner a renter a tourist or a visitor or a shopper from the surrounding communities anyone making a purchase pays that sales tax and obviously by default it's less than the direct taxation of property taxes but what would lose home rule mean if the city were to lose home rule status, then we would have to follow state-issued guidelines and we would have a loss of independence and autonomy. Losing home rule status would result in serious impacts to the budget and the continuation of services, which would affect the police, fire, public works departments, and manpower. It would also affect other departments, but those are the most impactful to our residents. Losing home rule status would push the city to focusing on property taxes as a primary method for the city to generate revenues. And this would also be accomplished with serious budget cuts, resident, resident service reductions, as well as layoffs. It means we can no longer be who we are. And essentially, it's as if Thanos snapped his fingers and half of our city services were to disappear. So those benefits, again, I'm going to hit 
the independence from Springfield, Illinois. Municipalities are autonomous and free to exercise governing authority independent of the General Assembly and the governor. And more local control and government accountability, voters have more influence over local elected officials, quite frankly, than they do over state lawmakers. And that's the main point about that. You have more direct influence and more local control. Only home rule cities are permitted to have bipartisan elections. If you're not a home rule city, you cannot have a bipartisan election and you're governed by the election chapters. Only within home rule municipalities can you have bipartisan elections. So that's the point I was making about the bipartisanship of this issue. This is not about pro-government or anti-government. This is about local control, pure and simple, and independence. Home rule also allows the city to quickly respond to residents' needs. It allows us to be more expedient. It seems like our conversations tonight were a lot like the proverbial watching the sausage get made, but the only reason we can have those conversations tonight is through home rule. Otherwise, a lot of those conversations we are not able to have because we are not granted the authority under state statutes. Municipalities obviously have greater flexibility over local finances as well as building, zoning, sanitation, nuisance abatement, civil disturbance, certain criminal offenses such as defining and providing punishment for some misdemeanor offenses. Some other areas that we have more control, one that's mentioned over and over is local police control and the ability for the police chief to exercise disciplinary discretion as opposed to it being defaulted to the police and fire commission. Uh, other benefits obviously include less dependency on state government, greater opportunities for local self-government op options to implement revenue policies that lessen reliance on property taxes. So you have more stability in government finances, which is what we've seen and what's allowed us, quite frankly, to get through COVID. If we didn't have some of those revenue streams, we, have, we would not have made it through. And our local government has more options for generating revenue, and therefore we're less dependent on property taxes again. And I'm going to keep saying a couple things over and over because they're very important as we go through this conversation. We have a greater ability to spread the tax burden more broadly, getting more revenue from non-residents through tools like specifically hotel, motel taxes, et cetera. And I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, what does it mean when we look at property taxes? Home rules allowed the city to keep property tax rates low. When you see there, the only people who have, that we, we can throw a bunch of others in here, but the ones we compare ourselves to and with, that we've looked to as our comparables, we have the lowest property tax rate. Um, when you add in for Troy going above us, uh, there are three municipalities here that they also have a fire, a separate property tax for their fire. So we do not. We provide all of that within your municipal tax. So we wanted to make sure this was fair. But I think you can see the benefit that this has. It allows us to maintain this year a, a rate of 7277. Um, that is only paid for by the residents. That is 6.9% of our total general fund revenues. But wait a second, out of that 3.5 million collected in 21, 3.3 million went to the fire and police pension. So only $210,000 of that went to the general fund for resident services. So that's 0.04% of general fund revenues at $210,000. And the ability that home rule has also given us, which is not reflected here, is to be responsible in our funding of those public safety pensions, quite frankly and that decision by the council to sacrifice that revenue stream purely to make sure that we maintained responsibility. Um, and you can look to other communities that have not made those responsible decisions, even though they were home rule municipalities. When we look at those property taxes again, really what we're showing here is that property taxes remain stable. This graph goes back 10 years to 2012. Um, and then the allocation, how that bottom uh, portion as to the general fund, how that has um, been significantly reduced as we've gone through time. 
And then again, when we talk about that direct taxation of home rule sales tax projected 22 at approximately 5.5 million. And then 2021, again, when we went in the budget discussion, this was an item that was up 15.9% over 20. So this has been a reliable and steadily increasing revenue stream and it's been critical to us maintaining services to our residents. This, just this direct line item for home rule comprises 10.6% of general fund revenues. And the majority of this home rule sales tax is paid from visitors and tourists. And we're in the process of getting some point of sale data so that we can bring that forward and show, show you who is spending money in this community and paying those sales taxes. And again, we've been very responsible in our use of home rule. When you read around uh, other municipalities that are being impacted by the census and their home rule status, um, the council has maintained a low property tax rate since home rule status was attained in 05. There was a dollar cap put in place from 2005, that's a typo, it's not 15, to 2016. Then it was removed and all our annual practices is to capture the growth. That dollar cap did not allow us to capture our EAV and our property tax and it was actually repressive if you remember that conversation. I won't go into it, anybody can go back and look at those meetings and follow that conversation. Uh, the city maintained the home rule sales tax at a low 1.25% when it could have been raised significantly. There are many home rule municipalities in, around Chicago that are around 3%. Um, other taxes were not enacted that the council has had the opportunity to, such as an additional tax, local tax on fuel that's only available to home rule, additional tax on alcohol sales, which is only available in home rule, and additional sales tax on natural use, gas use, which is only available for home rule. So that's been a very responsible use of home rule powers, and a lot of those other taxing opportunities were not taken advantage of, I feel very responsibly. We were able to do this and maintain this financial approach even when taking on parks and recreation assets and services from CARD upon dissolution and upon assuming ownership and operations of the Gateway Convention Center in 2018. If you recall, the, the financial strategy for that was to focus on our tourism-based taxes since those are extremely tourism-driven uh, services. Um, and that was to take the food and beverage tax, which was 1% citywide, it was only in Eastport, and I would argue a little unfair to only have certain hospitality uh, ventures pay that when others were um, taking advantage of the, um, the customers that Gateway Center was bringing in and, the, and that parks were, and then we raised our hotel motel accommodations tax from seven to 9%. If we were to lose home rule, we would have to reauthorize the hotel motel tax, and um, I believe everything I read is the maximum cap on that would be 6%, which is what the state collects based on reading that. So again, very responsible use of home rule. Um, to get in a little bit and to cross over a little bit about census 2020, why do we suspect an erroneous census count? Uh, as I mentioned, staff grew concerned, primarily myself, around 2015, um, when the Census Bureau came out with some projections and estimates based on um, population. At that point, an algorithm took place which affected everyone in Illinois and treated them the same, that they would have population loss unless there were, unless there were larger outlying information available. We started making our own projections in 2015 and we went all the way back to 2010. Um, again, we were observing small growth but not decline. Uh, the building permit data was used for all of our numbers all the way from 2010 to 2020. And it was a simple manner. We just looked at the type, single family residential, multifamily residential, whether it was a demolition or new construction, and the number of units, if it was multifamily, as well as a conservative average household multiplier. So, you know, with the census, you always look at an owner occupied and a not, it's not 
single family or multifamily, but it's owner-occupied, non-owner-occupied, and then you, have, you do have some information broken down on how many units are in the facility. But we took a very conservative average household multiplier there to make sure our numbers were low. Um, and the results, when Census 2020 results were released, it included an, a 19 projection base, which presented additional cause for concern because it's supposed to be a full count. So I think the base is set there to challenge this. When we look at that building permit data, really, again, 10 to 2019, we started 2010 with a population of 25,579. We added 72 net single family units, so that's demolitions and new, come out with your net. And again, for the multifamily residential, a 70, for a net total of 142 residential units. The average household for single family was 2.35, and we used 2.2 for multifamily. The estimated corresponding population increase was 323. That would put our population at 25,902. Uh, we don't see anything that concerns us in the data regarding water records or occupancy that would give us any evidence of population decline or an increase in vacancy. Again, we would have a substantial visible vacancy in residential stock when we look at those numbers and what our population would go back to. And then when you also factor in a couple other things, the, the, I mean, I think it's irrefutable success of the first time homebuyers program and how many grants we had given out at the $5,000 level and uh, requested additional funding to be transferred over for that program from the council, as well as uh, CUSD 10 has an all-time high enrollment. Huh, riddle me this. So where's the corresponding vacancies for the population decline? Where are all the people? I feel like I'm asking this everywhere. Where are the people working? I can't find anybody to take a job, and we can't find the people who left. I guess they all disappeared, but clones took their spot. I'm not sure what's going on. Now, why do we care about an erroneous census count in addition to home rule? The census count does impact home rules we discussed and they're married together because it sets that 25,000 requirement for automatic home rule status. The census count gives us and establishes all of our funding levels on a per capita basis for the next 10 years. So every state and federal funding program from transportation infrastructure to motor fuel tax to community block grant funding is substantially adversely impacted by a low census count, as is something as local as our uh, PEP grant that we get from the county for Parks and Rec. That's factored on a per capita basis. The implications of allowing the census count to stand are significant and cannot, it just can't be allowed to happen. So therefore, you know, we will be working on a two-pronged attack, the home, the home rule referendum and making sure that adequate and accurate information is available on making that decision as well as uh, challenging the census count. So a little bit on what are our next steps. Staff will compile and provide more information on home rules. Specifically, we plan on going into a more in-depth fiscal impact analysis on what would happen if we were to lose home rule, as well as what would happen if the census population counts were to play out. Um, the council is required, and that's why I said you will take, I made that assumption, you're required by statutes to take those steps to ensure that the home rule referendum is met and that that appears on that ballot in, on November 8th. We will premier and submit a challenge to the census 2020 count based on building permit data and based on the specific census block group data, which uh, the building permit data is represented as a layer in GIS. It allows us to evaluate the information at the census block group level. So that's the smallest level that they collect that data. 
and that allows us to be more specific and focused into identifying potential areas of conflict. Uh, there's a lot of literature about this process uh, that's available as Detroit's going through a very uh, similar endeavor in challenging their census count because they have areas where they're building permit data and other data like we have support um, the opposite of what manifests itself in the, in the census. Um, we will be providing continual information and updates and discussions with the council and with the public. And again, this is not a partisan issue. And in fact, it's, it is the only thing that allows the city to be bipartisan and have bipartisan elections as you do. Um, with that, I would be happy to hear any questions and comments that you may have at this time on, on this issue. Just like it's going to be a long process. I mean, <laughs> that's all. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot to get your head around. We've got our work to to do between here now and November. Getting the the message out uh, and let people know that home rule is for them, not. Uh, and you know. It's a very boring subject to Collins most people. Be Collinsville and not a. Yeah. a uh, a hand down from the state. Public education will be huge. Well, I think I think Unit 10 needs to be on top of this as well because they're lo losing funding as well. Not associated with us. No, not their enrollment. They're based on their enrollment, pure yeah, and simple. Still, they're not. They're not subservient to the census. So, but it's still. Um, anyway. No, I think you put together a, a good overview there. And uh, that actually gives the people more control of their destiny uh, within the home of the city, because uh, as opposed to relying on um, at a higher level with the state or uh, local representatives um, in a district, you have more control on who's sitting at this table, right? So they can control, and I think that's important. And I think you did a good presentation. Thank you. I think, you know, that is the critical issue when we get through it is that, you know, this, the, the, I think the, the rumor mill is that if you have home rule, you have more regulation and higher taxes. And when you look at the research, it is the opposite. Actually, the research says the taxation levels depend on what the community can support, but you don't have, you have, if you lose home rule, you lose the avail availability to be more diverse in how you place yeah. some of the sales taxes. My IML, uh, Illinois Municipal League Orientation, when I was first elected, they spoke very highly of home rule and the fact wish that more cities had the opportunity to uh, utilize its capabilities. Thank you. Yeah, you know, so education of the community is going to be huge. Just a little bit of feedback that you get today um, is so much misinformation and people really I'm included. I've had to re I've had to really educate myself the last few weeks about home rule. Um, I knew it existed, but I never fully do dove into it, and it's eye-opening. And so, for our message to the community, it's going to be huge. And how to reach them? We can't rely on Facebook because there's too much other chatter out there on Facebook that will argue against the facts. So, how we present this and getting our residents to to understand what that no vote means and how crucial that is for them. So we've, yeah, we have our work cut out for us. I would, I would encourage the council and staff and everybody pay attention to this to you know, start that education process. Absolutely. 
you know, make sure it's understood. I mean, I think that, you know, we have limits on, you know, what the council can do. So I would expect that there'll be a group that would come forward and, you know, push more of a, you know, a, a focused, you know, Citizens for Collinsville campaign. Um, but for us, it's getting the education out there and just uh, letting everybody know how the benefits of what, what Home Rule has done for Collinsville. And I think, you know, your track record over the last 17 years speaks for itself and your constraint <coughs> in legislating as well as imposing taxes on our residents. So what, what are the steps in still um, in appealing this? What are what? Well, if really the only, I mean, home rule is referendum. That's your step. You're done. It doesn't matter oh. what happens with census. But it does say if, the, if a referendum is defeated and your population goes over 25,000, you can still get that automatic. Um, so what we will do on the census challenge is the details are pretty fuzzy on the challenge because we don't have block group data yet. So we're put up against some timelines and deadlines with the Census Bureau and we, they haven't even released data in a manner that the city can get their head around it and look at it at the block group level. So we will go through that process and uh, as that emerges and becomes evident on what, what we think it is and how the timeline plays out on the census challenge, we'll be re reporting that obviously on an on ongoing manner to the council. Um, and you know, part of this is making sure that we're meeting your expectations and your, your guidance and direction and how we approach both of these issues. You know, I think the home rule is the educational component um, and the real facts about it. I, I think the census count is quite frankly to say that, I mean, I think when you look at the numbers, it's pretty evident it's crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not other areas where you could see that population decline and say, yeah, I see, you know, 200 empty houses that, you know, I see it happening. It's, it's not here. There's not that availability here. No, and actually... I mean, I hear it all the time that people are looking for a place to rent, and there are no vacancies for rent. And so it, the, it just makes no sense that our population could drop when there's no available. I mean, there's, it just makes no sense. Yeah. Chris, you keep talking about education. I think that's a key element is, is everybody understanding or the public understanding that even though we're challenging the census and it may work out to our advantage and come in higher than 25, it may take two years or more to do that. In the meantime, we're going to have to revert back. So um, parallel uh, route on these things, but we have, to, we have to push to get the thing done. We are on the census count. We're confident because the other municipalities, you know, O'Fallon, for an example, challenged their count in 2010. And they were successful in that because it's based on, you know, data-driven evidence, quite frankly. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, O'Fallon's well below, above the home rule status, but they understand the implications on the per capita funding. So, you know, the recipe on how to win that challenge is there. <coughs> they just haven't produced the rules. Right. And we're not quite confident that those may be in a real fair manner when you look at a, at a census count and it includes a projected 2019 base. Mm -hmm. On that slide that you showed the other communities and where we fell in property taxes, those, some of those other communities are home rule, correct? There are some that are home rule. Mm -hmm. Alton, I can go back and just a few of them. Let me see here. Uh, you've got, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you got, uh, I know Alton is. I know that Edwardsville is. I know that O'Fallon is. We'll have to check on a couple of those other statuses, but... Um, 
Yeah, that's where I said I don't think home rule in and of itself represents low property taxes. You can see that. Right, right. It's, uh, I think we've done a very fair, we're, we, yeah, I think if you look at that comparison on sales tax versus property tax, and then you said, well, I'd rather have, let me take a one, point sale, one and a quarter point sales tax back, but if we have to go property taxes up at least, you know, double, or, you know, if you take it at least double, I would guarantee you you're not going to make your money back on that sales tax. You're going right. to, that's a loser. And the only people paying that are our residents. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bear. Thank you. Next item. Next item is speakers from the floor. Speakers from the floor can address the council under the terms of 4765. Time is <coughs> four minutes per speaker. Anyone in the room that wishes to speak? I don't think we have anyone. Next item. Comments and announcements from the mayor. I'm going to pass this evening. Next item. Comments and announcements from council members. Council. Pass. Comments and announcements from city staff. Three for three, staff passes. <laughs> All right. Consent agenda. Next is the consent agenda. Item one is a motion to approve payment of bills for the period ending January 14, 2022, in the amount of $772,824.17. Item two is a motion to approve payroll for the period ending January 7, 2022 in the amount of $794,662.76. Item three, motion to approve minutes of the January 11, 2022 council meeting. Item four is an ordinance appointing Amanda Guntram as interim city treasurer for the city. Item five, resolution reappointing members to the Parks and Recreation Advisory Commission, <coughs> Bron Beyer and Seton. Item six is a resolution reappointing members to the Historic Preservation Commission, Hines and Metzger, and item seven is a resolution reappointing a member to the Building Code Review Committee, Huckins. Council, prior to a motion, are there any items L1 through seven that you would wish to pull for comment or question? Not to pull, but just want to make the comment that I say every time we have these commission members reappointed, we have good quality people that are volunteering for these committees. I'm very impressed. I know many of them, and this, these are just quality people that are volunteering their time for the city. Love it. We pick, we look long and hard. <laughs> we want people that love the city, and uh, the ones that love the city are good people. So, um, a motion to accept the consent agenda items L1 through 7. So moved. Moved by Councilman Stamen. Okay. I'll second it. Second by Councilman Hausman. Roll call. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome. Yes. Hausman. Yes. Miller. Yes. Next, new business. Item one is an ordinance amending Title 13 of the Council Municipal Code with regards to septic tank truck operators and grease traps. Entertain a motion for the ordinance amending Title 13 Public Services regarding septic tank truck operators and grease traps. So moved. Moved by Councilman Green. I'll second. Second by Councilman Jerome. The overview by 
Public Works Director Dennis Kress. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Good evening, City Council. Um, tonight, under this ordinance, there's actually two amendments to Title 13 uh, entitled uh, Public Services, the first being the addition of Section 13.21, Septic Truck Operators, which establishes minimum standards for septic, septic tank truck operators to offload domestic waste, the wastewater treatment plant. This amendment uh, establishes some uh, requirements that we have followed these policies for years here, but this is actually codifying those. So what it's going to require is all septic tank truck operators um, to obtain a permit prior to offloading liquid waste at the, at the treatment plant, uh, provide the city copies of all of the state and county waste hauler license, proof of insurance, establishes restrictions on the source of where the liquid waste comes from, and the type of waste, and it also sets minimum water quality standards for the liquid waste being disposed of. Um, it designates where the septic, septic tank truck operators um, can offload the liquid waste. It establishes fees for disposing of the liquid waste and requires the operators to maintain load manifests so we can track if we have problems. Um, it also provides us with the right of re refusal for any of the liquid waste and requires us, it gives us the ability to require um, analytical testing before they dump it. Um, again, these are policies that we've followed for a long time. It just this just codifies it. Um, the second amendment to Title 13 is um, the addition of Section 13.22, Title Grease Trap, which actually replaces Chapter 13.1630 grease, oil, and sand interceptor requirements. Um, this, this sets forth a unified requirement for food service establishments um, for proper disposal of fats, oil, and grease. Um, it basically establishes and requires the installation and maintenance of grease traps um, for all new and existing food service establishments. Uh, the amendment establishes size requirements for grease interceptor based on food service operations and equipment, provides us the authority to require the installation of appropriately sized grease traps when food service operations change um, to a degree where grease production um, creates a threat to our public sewers. Um, in the past, we have required 1,500 gallon grease interceptors. This has been the practice in the city for probably 40 years, we have about 100 of them in service. Um, what this is going to do is give us the ability to give some relief to smaller operations and facilities that want to have basically a warming kitchen, but it will protect the city's interest in if they change their operation by bringing in deep fryers or start creating uh, an operation that creates a lot of grease into our system, we have the authority to come back and require them to upgrade their grease interceptor. Grease interceptors are required by the Illinois Plumbing Code. We have always gone above and beyond to protect our system. We know that that grease, enter grease entering our system is the, the biggest controllable threat we have to backups in our system. So that's what's kind of triggered this and that's why we've stayed, stayed stood by the 1500 gallon requirements. The amendment also establishes the requirements for uh, maintenance and proper cleaning procedures, and um, it requires a manifest of the cleaning and maintenance of the, of the 
grease interceptors. Um, it also provides us administrative authority to enforce compliance on the ordinance. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, again, this is, we have, these have been practices that have been in place for many years, but this is just now codifying it. Question, Mr. Crash. I just want to make a couple of comments. First of all, Dennis has the two nastiest amendments before you tonight. He, we just lumped them both together because they're both gross. As usual. Gross. Septic <laughs> <laughs> color. Like Dennis said, a lot of this is policy that, you know, I think uh, staff felt like we were a better foundation to enforce and protect our system by codifying it. Uh, and really the grease traps, I've learned way too much about grease traps. Really what this does is, like Dennis said, we always defaulted on a very conservative approach to our system. But as everything has changed over the last two years, this approach really allows us to go by the Illinois Plumbing Code somewhere to other municipalities and then draw that line and provide for the what ifs. Because I think that's a lot of the concerns we've had is what if something changes. And through our occupancy and our business licensing programs, uh, that's where we get to address that along with a more realistic and practical goal for a lot of these smaller businesses, like Dennis said, that propose a warming kitchen where the cost generally ten to $15,000 at least to install 1,500-gallon grease, grease interceptor is not necessarily practical. So I hope I said that correct. So what we've done here is try to react to the market and still protect our system and always reserve the right to punt and say, yeah, sorry, but you're going to do this. So I want to make sure you had the clarification on where these were coming from. Most of these are already in effect. I mean, we've just changed language and... and yeah, increased the, the necessary documentation yeah, and, yeah. and so forth. We've basically codified the policy that we followed for okay, 40 so, years. So if we have a hauler that comes quite regularly, will you hold his paperwork on, on hand or does he have to present it every time he comes to the plant? He presents it every time they come in. We sample the, the septage that he's hauling in. We test the pH of it, make sure it's okay. but. Sometimes we don't have the ability to know exactly what's in there. Just because it's in the acceptable pH range doesn't mean that it won't affect our bugs in the system in the treatment process. This any way, if there's any problems, um, we can, you know, hopefully track it back to where it came from, and, and it's just in, protecting our treatment process. In reviewing the ordinance, I, I believe it also states that uh, those who utilize our facility to dump. It, that must come from within our district, is that correct? It, it has to come within, the, the treatment plan is the regional facility. It processes waste from Maryville, City of Collinsville, right. and Mounds Public Water District. And that is the area that we will accept septage. Good, for thanks. The service area. Yes. Right. Yeah. I just want to, I knew that, yes. I just want to make sure people so were aware. So they're manifest when they pick up, when they go out and clean someone's septic tank, they have to put on their manifest where they collected that yes approximately how many how many gallons or, yeah. or whatever then we we get a copy of that 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 document when they come in and we keep we keep the, the manifest and they're required to keep a copy of it as well and that's always been the case or this is something uh, new? the the manifest was something we started about five years ago um, it, this really wasn't a big deal too long ago. We didn't have that many haulers that came in, but Granite City increased their rates uh, about a year and a half ago or so, and as soon as they raised their rates, we seen a big increase of how many haulers came in, and uh, that's one of the reasons we raised the rates not too long ago, 
we, it wasn't a big impact on the, on the treatment plant with so few haulers coming in, but after Granite City changed their rates, we've seen a very steep, and steep incline of the haulers bringing septic into the system. Into Would the say column. poo runs downhill? Well, we're at the bottom of the hill. So. Can't stop. <laughs> the manifest is the providence of poo. Yeah. I'm sorry. Anyone else? Roll call, please. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome. Yes. Houseman. Yes. Miller. Yes. Thank you. Item two is an ordinance approving invoices for premiums related to the payment FAR and agreements between the city of Collinsville and its liability workers' compensation excess insurance carriers. Entertain a motion for the approving the invoices for premiums between the city of Collinsville and excess insurance carriers. So moved. Moved by Councilman Hausman. Second. Second by Councilman Stamen. The overview by HR Director Peyton Drury. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council. Uh, before you today is an ordinance approving invoices uh, for a payment for our excess car insurance carriers. Um, back in October of 2021, um, we did go to council and approve uh, broker services for Daniel and Henry. Uh, previous to that, we were with Gallagher for about over 10 years, uh, so we were just having a good time for a change. Um, Daniel and Henry, um, they have been very attentive and really great to work with uh, since October, um, and they still are continuously calling me, emailing me all the time just to inform us of our renewal process. Um, for this year, we did receive a 20% increase in premiums, um, so we're looking about um, a little under 1.21 um, in pre increase, I'm sorry, uh, 1.21, a little bit under 1.21 um, in premiums for the dollar amount that we'll have to pay um, for this year. Um, so the city and Daniel and Henry are hoping for more positive renewal for next year. Um, hopefully get a jump start mid-year. Um, last year, we only started about in October, November, we started the new renewal process. So um, if you have any other questions at this time, I'd be happy to answer them. Again, I can't help myself, but I think we need further context. So Peyton undersells how much she's done in this process to get it where it is, if you recall on those dates. At that October 12th meeting a week later, our finance director decided to go off the grid. And so one of the issues we found out in our first meeting with the brokers uh, was that they were not even accurately informed by our former CFO by on what lines of coverage we needed. So uh, specifically liquor liability, pretty big one. Um, they had the opportunity, in my opinion, at that point, um, you know, to write us off and move forward because this isn't what they signed up for. They rolled their sleeves up. And in addition to that, our former broker played a little bit of bad pool and uh, would not provide any of that information. If everybody knows, ethic, one of the main ethic tenets of a uh, broker is to provide the next broker with all the applications and all the information your client, and they essentially ghosted Daniel and Henry. So they started with no background information that they would normally be moving halfway through an uh, a process with to get bids as well as an inaccurate picture on those lines. And that was, I believe, in November we met with them, Peyton? Yeah. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Um, and so here's where we're at, and we're lucky to be where we are. But next year, we, you know, we've had a focused conversation with them on how we'll hopefully bring this down next year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you saw Peyton say, you know, Daniel and Henry's really stepped in there. Uh, they've went to bat for us. They've worked, uh, you know, Peyton 
has done just a phenomenal job in a really tough situation, making sure uh, they had the information they needed in a timely manner, um, and that's where we're at. Um, and you will see that uh, liquor liability policy is not in this renewal. Um, it will be coming more into February and April. So. That, that policy doesn't expire until April. Thank you, Peyton, Thanks. for what you do. Thank you. Anyone else? Roll call, please. Green? Yes. Stamen? Yes. Jerome? Yes. Houseman? Yes. Miller? Yes. Item three is ordinance authorizing waiver of fees related to the construction of a single family residence for Unit 10 vocational program at 500 Howard Street. Entertain a motion for authorization of waiver of fees related to construction of a single family residence Unit 10 vocational program. So moved. Moved by Councilman Green. Second. Second by Councilman Stamen. The overview by Director Taylor. Thank you, Mayor and members of Council. Uh, the item before you is an ordinance authorizing the waiver of fees for a new single family residence to be built by the Collinsville Area Vocational Center. The city of Collinsville did a property swap uh, with, the, uh, with Unit 10 recently, and in exchange for a piece of property, Collinsville Area Vocational Center took what was then 515 South Clinton. Uh, they have proposed uh, building permits, uh, building plans, which front Howard, uh, which I'll show you here. Um, they proposed a uh, building permits, which front Howard, so we've readdressed it to 500 Howard, so it makes more sense. Uh, as is customary with this uh, type of application from the school district, we are recommending the waiver of fees related to the building permit. I've included a few site photos. You'll see that this is, it's a quite, it's a large, pretty large lot um, with a steep grade. Uh, the applicant, uh, sorry, the school district is looking to uh, construct a single family home with, uh, there will be a basement, will not be walkout. That steep grade is just gonna be a good sledding hill. Um, and it's gonna have the garage access off Howard. And then there's this porch you'll see here, which will front uh, Taft, Taft, and then uh, you'll have the uh, master bedroom is to the east, which will be fronting this side, will front Clinton. Uh, so long-running tradition between, and, uh, between the uh, city and uh, the Collinsville School District to support these projects. We're happy to see another single-family residence go in to a piece of property. Um, covered most of this when we did the property transfer, but this property was a dilapidated uh, single-family structure uh, that I believe when City Manager Bear was in a similar position that I'm in, he worked hard to get taken down and then uh, deeded over to the city. And so we were left with a vacant piece of property that we can now uh, convert over into a single-family residence. The Amount to be waived as, waived as recommended by staff to, will not exceed $7,600, and this includes the building permit fees, occupancy, and water and sewer tax. Uh, any questions you might have, I'd be happy to answer them. Questions? This is one of the feel-good projects. We love doing this. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you that uh, I am so happy that the Vocational Center brought the building trades back in several years ago. We were absent of them for about four to five years. 
I know that this will probably be somewhere in the 20th or the 30th home that they've built in the city of Collinsville. And if you look at them, they are all well, main, well maintained and, and, and nice homes. So um, I think this is the best thing that the city can do to give a hand up and, and across uh, um, lines with the uh, Unit 10 School District. So that's a win-win for, for the city and the school district. It's an excellent program that's growing. They've added additional partner districts, and we think you'll probably be looking at them doing one home each year, correct? Two in process yep. at the whole time, one being planned out and developed, the other one actually being construction and sold. That's how uh, much that program's grown. So, uh, you know, when I came here, it was defunct, mm -hmm. and then it got brought back to the point where it's probably three times the size it has ever been <coughs> at a time where... It is the most impactful right now when you're talking about labor and workforce development and the need for skilled trades. So incredible opportunity and incredible partnership, obviously one I believe in since I was in Travis's position in community development. So I always found it a fun challenge to get a lot to them to build a house on. And that was, that, that's one of those really feel good moments. I agree exactly with uh, Councilman Jerome. Not to mention the fact that it's training young people to be good, uh, hardworking people. And uh, one in particular uh, currently runs his own construction business in town. He, he worked for a gentleman for a long time. Uh, he sold his business and this young man uh, bought it. And now he's, he's in business for himself. And he, and he got all of his starts right through the CAVC program. So. When I talked to him not too long ago, he says, well, I have second thoughts of buying a business at this time, <laughs> the way things are going right now. But he says uh, it's providing a, a good income for his family and a good young man uh, and uh, doing great things. So. Anyone else comments? Being none, roll call. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome. Yes. Houseman. Yes. Miller. Yes. Thank you. <clears throat> Next closed session. Closed session. I will entertain a motion to discuss in accordance with 5 ILCS 120-2C1, appointment, employment, compensation. Three, the selection or performance of a person in public office. Eleven, pending or threatened imminent litigation. And 21, discussion of closed meeting minutes. Uh, Motion for those four items. So moved. Moved by Councilman Jerome. I'll second it. Second by Councilman Green. Roll call. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome. Yes. Houseman. Yes. Miller. Yes. Glasses adjournment. Uh, motion for adjournment. So moved. Moved by Councilman Stamen. I'll second it. Second by Councilman Green. Roll call, please. Green. Yes. Stamen. Yes. Jerome? Yes. Houseman? Yes. Miller? Yes. The regular city council meeting of the city of Collinsville, January 25th, 2022, is adjourned.